When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune Podcast. Uh, once again, I just want to thank every one of you for uh, tuning in today, whether you are on YouTube, uh, you found me on a website like SGT Report or Silver Doctors. Shout out to those two uh, websites for sharing my work pretty consistently, by the way. Uh, or if you're on one of the many podcast platforms that I'm on, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever. Happy to have you here. You know, w- with some of this recent talk here about taper, um, recent talk and kind of the, the monetary policy, the economic space, uh, tapering by the Federal Reserve and certainly um, some maybe surprisingly hawkish, more hawkish than we'd expected actions from some so- smaller central banks around the world. Um, a, a lot have, as well as some of the recent, I should add, as well as some of the recent action in some bond markets abroad and here in the United States, um, many have, have begun to expect a taper to, to happen sooner rather than later by the Federal Reserve, uh, with the Bank of America coming out. Uh, this was reported by Zero Hedge, I think, yesterday, the day before, talking about, uh, you know, expecting the Fed to begin tapering, uh, this month, probably in November, and for it to be at something like 15 billion a month, um, reduced purchases, uh, ending sometime in, you know, the summer of 2022. Um, now, uh, some will frame that as a tightening of monetary policy, and, and maybe you can call it that. I mean, I think that the key thing to understand here is that it will not be until the summer 22, 2022, if they follow that schedule, that they actually won't be providing that those additional purchases for the market. It's still extremely accommodative. Interest rates remain at you know essentially zero in terms of the Fed funds rate. And we have to remember that you know the larger the balance sheet is. Um, the, the larger the amount of support there is for the market on an ongoing basis, regardless of the purchases. That's something that many people, I think, miss out on. But but the Fed, uh, let's say, you know, their current balance sheet, which I think is north of $8 trillion, and say they stopped um, buying new bonds today, they stopped adding to it uh, treasury bonds or uh, mortgage-backed securities. Uh, well, what they've done in the past when they've stopped QE is they've still provided a heck of a lot of, of support for the market because they roll over those bonds or those mortgage-backed securities when they ultimately expire. That is a huge support for the market, right? You have, you know, X amount of, you know, however many billions of, of dollars worth of bonds that are maturing on that given year and they reinvest those funds, essentially. It's a huge amount of support. Um, we're talking $8 trillion plus dollars worth of debt that has essentially been sanitized, removed from the broader economy with some major side effects in terms of asset and, and price inflation. Um, but, but it's been removed. That's, that's a lot of debt, government debt as well, uh, primarily the government debt, that has been um, sanitized, has been monetized by the Federal Reserve and, and that support's going to continue. So, so that's another thing to keep in mind that, that a $4 trillion balance sheet plus $30 billion a year or a month, let's say, is not nearly as much support as an $8 trillion balance sheet plus $30 billion a month of purchases. Because there's that extra four, sorry, billion, four trillion. There's that extra four trillion, um, that is being rolled over 
on a constant basis. Maybe they're shifting the maturity of those bonds or shifting from mortgage-backed securities or commercial mortgage-backed securities or some of the other debt that they've purchased into bonds or just pure mortgage-backed securities. But it's debt nonetheless that it's being removed from the broader economy by the Federal Reserve monetization of debt. It's inflationary. So that's an important distinction to, to understand there. But um, we are expecting them to taper soon, right? Uh, so, so looking at that, um, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, frightening prospect. That should be a frightening prospect. The Federal Reserve, um, attempting once again to, to taper, uh, their monetary policy. This is something that has been tried, uh, time and time again by the Fed. Um, and, and it has failed, right? To, to taper and then ultimately tighten monetary policy. It's something that has been an abject failure for the Fed, um, really since, uh, you know, this era sort of started, I would argue, back in, in 01, in 2000, 2001, um, when the Fed um, responded to to things like the dot-com bubble popping and, and 9-11 and some other things uh, with with lowering interest rates significantly and, and never really bringing them back to where they should have been, thus helping fuel the housing bubble in the 2000s. Um, and then following that up with, with even more extreme monetary policy in the Great Recession um, by lowering rates to zero for a very long time, a ton of quantitative easing. And, and they followed that up by very small in the bigger picture, very small increase in the Fed funds rate before they ultimately had to lower it back to zero. Very small tightening cycle. And, and I think a common misconception here um, is is that that entire tightening cycle was was halted in, entirely by COVID. And, and that's not true. Now, the COVID-related recession has made a huge impact on, on um, the the loosening cycle that, that I think we're still in. Um, but, but no, it, it didn't bring an end to that tightening cycle. That tightening cycle was already coming to an end essentially in, uh, by the end of 2019, early 2020. Um, the Fed might have said that they were planning to tighten more eventually. Um, but, it, but the writing was on the wall. Uh, COVID just happened to exacerbate that and lead to maybe a more rapid response, moved up the timeline, moved up the, uh, the, 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 severity or the amount of stimulus that they had to provide. Um, but no, it didn't, it didn't stop that. So, so the reason I'm going back through all this history back in the last 20 plus years is to talk about, you know, their, their failure to, to tighten, to normalize monetary policy, because ultimately they're, they're creating an addict and, and, and they know that, you know, their popularity, their legitimacy is, is based on things like the stock market and the bond market being stable and, and, a very, very high prices, permanently high prices, some would argue. Um, you know, that, that's what they're shooting for. Um, the housing market, the economy, unemployment, all of those things. And they know that if they were to tighten and normalize monetary policy, um, let's say to what it was 25 years ago, uh, that that would be, that would, that would, you know, the entire financial system would collapse. The stock market would drop, you know, 90%. The bond, you know, the U.S. government would become insolvent and you know, all sorts of bad things happen. Uh, and so they're, they're content with kicking the can down the road. And, and believe me, they will once again kick this can down the road. So like I said, November, they're going to start this tapering cycle. And I'm start, you will hear me say this so many times over the next year. Um, this tightening cycle is, is, uh, it's going to be brief. It's going to be uh, much shorter, and the Fed is going to get much less far than they did in uh, you know 2018, 2019 in that tightening cycle. I think the Fed um, may get to June and, and stop their QE purchases, um, but I would be surprised to see the Fed 
um, raise interest rates with the caveat that if inflation does continue to rise and stay persistently high, um, you know, maybe we could see the Fed raise interest rates some in response to that, especially if other central banks are following suit. Uh, sorry, not following suit, but but are already moving in that direction and the Fed would potentially follow suit. But of course, you know, raising interest rates a quarter or a half percentage point when inflation is three, four, five plus percent higher than the last cycle, um, that's 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 a pretty measly increase, all things considered. But no, I don't think that they'll um, be able to raise interest rates otherwise, except in a high inflationary environment. And and I certainly don't think that they're going to get to tightening Um in, in the traditional sense of actually, you know, quantitative tightening of, of selling those assets onto the market or, or letting them, them, uh, mature with, without rolling them over. No, I, I, I think, you know, if they follow the same pattern they have in the past, this tightening cycle is going to be, um, far shorter and, and less severe than the one prior. Um, in, and honestly, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if they even made it to the, you know, to June before something happens, whether it's, um, related to COVID, related to supply chain, related to the economy, what geopolitics, something I believe will come up and be used as an excuse. Maybe the most likely excuse would be a, a significant drop in the stock market, but something will come up and cause the Fed to halt their plans. And, and they're going to be back in that same cycle of, um, accommodative monetary policy adding to their balance sheet. I don't see any way out of that, especially given the massive deficit that the U.S. continues to accumulate. We've seen what's been happening in some bond markets around the world in just the past week or two. Um, you know, imagine what happens to the U.S. debt markets when the Fed, you know, provides that, you know, less support than they have previously, but, but the deficit continues to move up at a, at an entirely unsustainable rate, especially without that extra Fed action. Right. The reduced amount of QE plus, you know, the rolling over the eight trillion plus dollars worth of assets, you know, some of which most of which majority of which are, are U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, you're going to see rates rise. And that's and I think that's me seen as untenable uh, by, by the Federal Reserve. And they will, you know, get into the market. But but eventually, again, I know I'm, I'm almost 10 minutes in here, but eventually. We're going to get another crisis. We're not just going to get another, um, like, like 2019 that, you know, the repo market or something else happens that causes the Fed to halt their tightening. Um, we're, we're going to get a, a full blown crisis. And again, I don't know exactly what this will look like. Uh, is how much is inflation going to play a role? Supply chain shortages, um, energy prices, geopolitics, COVID and the pandemic. I mean, I think all of those things, I think, you know, from, our, my, my base case coming out of this pandemic has been that, you know, the, the ceiling for economic growth in the United States is going to be so much lower than it was even a couple of years ago that it's going to require a, a, you know, more dollars of debt or stimulus, fiscal or monetary, to create a single dollar of, of economic growth. And, and that our ceiling coming out of this is going to be extremely low. And, and we're going to look like we're in a recession um, before this recovery even really gets started. I mean, we're only, you know, in the tail end of 2021, the pandemic is still having an impact on our economy. And already people are talking of a recession. I think rightfully so, because our, our ceiling for economic growth is just so low. Our, our economy is so levered up and it's, it's so dependent on fiscal and monetary stimulus that if you try and remove those, if you're not going to have some of the same programs in play in 2022 from a fiscal perspective or from a monetary perspective, uh, then, then economic growth is going to immediately roll over because 
uh, the U.S. government and because the Federal Reserve have become such a big part of, you know, maintaining the illusion of, of true economic growth. It's, it's been false economic growth. It's been debt fueled and stimulus, you know, monetary stimulus fueled economic growth for, for quite some time now. And, and our ceiling right now is just so low because of, of the strain that this debt puts on our economy. And, you know, the, the only way out of that is to monetize that debt and, or to inflate it away or, you know, some combination thereof. Uh, and certainly I think that's where we're going, but we're going to end up in a crisis, right? We're going to have a recession or worse. We're going to have the market look shaky at best. We're going to see, a, you know, a 10%, 20% drop, you know, asset price inflation is probably going to continue to, to affect the, the stock market for, for time to come, but we'll see a, I'm sure drop. I mean, there's an incredible amount of excess right now in these markets. You know, you look at Tesla over the past few weeks. I think that's a great, great case example of, of excesses in the market. A lot of it, the result of this monetary policy. But again, if you remove that support, that liquidity, it's not a linear process. You know, you remove 10% of the QE and, and, and the market, you know, moves up at a, a rate that is, you know, 90% of what it had been moved. No, uh, I think this is kind of more of one of those situations where it's operating at the margins. You know, when you remove a bit of that liquidity, you remove a, you know, uh, you let rates rise a bit and things fall apart pretty quickly. Um, but we'll see that in the stock market. We'll see it in the economy, real estate market, asset prices. Um, that's going to be seen as, as simply, um, un, un, unpopular, uh, by, by politicians, by central bankers. And they're going to, like I said, you know, print, print their way out of this through fiscal and monetary stimulus. They're going to print their way out of this next crisis. So what happens to silver and gold in that situation? Well, like I said, I, I think something that we really have to be watching is is what's happening in the stock market right now, uh, crypto market as well, and of course the commodities market. Um, as I've said for a while now, uh, monetary stimulus has led to huge amounts of asset inflation over the past 20 years. You've seen it in the real estate market, the stock market, the bond market, commercial real estate, on and on. Huge amounts of asset inflation. Um, incredible amount of excess. We're starting to see that similar thing play out in, in the commodities market. As many have, have opined over the past year or two, I, I would agree that, that we're heading into sort of a, a commodities, you know, super cycle, if you will. I think it's going to be one driven by, by two main factors. First, inflation. Inflation is a huge part of this, of this big cycle. And I think it's going to impact silver and gold, um, to a greater extent than many other commodities because silver and gold are a, are a better hedge against inflation than many other commodities. Not to say that they aren't, not to say that copper or coal or oil or what have you aren't, but I think gold and silver get that to a much greater extent, um, than than those assets, those commodities. Um, so inflation is a huge part of it. And, and certainly I've talked about that at length and I'm not mentioning inflation as much in today's podcast, even though it's maybe one of the biggest factors that should be on everybody's mind from a macro perspective and from a precious metals perspective. Uh, but the other major, major factor that's in, at play here, uh, it, it's something that's true for a lot of commodities, a lot of metals, a lot of energies, energy markets, um, specific, you know, energy commodities. Uh, and it's true for precious metals. And that is, is that, you know, for the past, you know, 10 years, maybe close to, um, 
there has been a, a bear market, more or less a, a downturn in commodities, broadly speaking. That, that's a broad because commodities, uh, agricultural, agricultural commodities, um, metals, um, energy commodity that there's a, we're talking about a lot of markets and we're talking about a lot of markets that have had bull markets in that time span, um, silver and gold included. Um, but as a whole, speaking broadly, casting broad strokes here, uh, we've seen this trend of, of very low prices, um, because of expectations of lower inflation, because of you know, manipulation in the case of the precious metals markets. Well, what that has resulted in is really, I think, an under investment in commodity, uh, you know, production, mining in the case of, of silver and gold, a huge underinvestment in, in capital expenses and, and increasing production and capacity and whatnot. We've seen a similar thing play out in the uranium market. Um, which I continue to be very bullish on. We've seen it in a lot of other energy markets, you know, maybe not so much in, let's say, like oil, especially with shale oil, you know, but a lot of other commodity markets, um, agricultural, you know, we've seen farmers really, you know, in a difficult financial position. That's because of a long, drawn out, you know, low prices in a lot of, a lot of agricultural commodities. You know, how many times have you and I, you know, heard over the past decade of just how hard it is to be a farmer, whether we're talking about a big commercial farmer or a family farm, it's, you know, margins are tight and, you know, weather or other, you know, events can, can really make or break, you know, not just your year, but, you know, the existence of your company or your farm. I mean, it's so easy to go bankrupt. And a lot of that is a side effect of, low prices, right? We've seen it in the precious metals market. Well, what happens with that is that ultimately, you know, the the cure for low prices, as many have said before, is low prices. You keep those prices low in the precious metals market, the uranium market, agricultural, agricultural commodities, or a lot of other energy commodities, metals, etc. And ultimately, I mean, there's just lack of incentive to invest in more production. You end up with shortages, you end up with a shortfall, you know, between that supply and demand dynamic and prices move up. This is something that I've talked about for years about in the precious metals, especially the silver market, just a lack of investment and more, you know, supply come onto the market, more production. This is why a lot of people, you know, uh, the U.S. Geological Survey and others have said, you know, like, well, you know, we're about to run out of silver. If you look at, you know, known reserves on the ground, we're going to be out running out of silver by 2030. That's not true. We're going to find more and we continue to find more in terms of reserves for silver and all these other commodities. But I think the bigger takeaway from that is, is that we haven't invested enough in exploration and production, right? Because there's plenty more silver on the ground. The question is at what cost? And at low cost, there's just not the incentive to take that more expensive silver out of the ground. And the, you know, the same is true for a lot of other commodities. And so you're going to have those twin effects of inflation and the effects of, of, you know, long, long drawn out low prices in, especially in the silver market, but gold market as well. And you're going to see that whip back in the other direction. What we saw so far in the bull market, um, which I would kind of define as starting really in, in mid 2019. Um, that's when gold really took off and then silver eventually followed. They, they obviously had their correction in 2020, but, uh, more than a correction of a, a short-term bear market. But, but that's really when I'd say it started, you know, we've only seen the beginning here. We're only talking mid twenties for silver. We're only talking gold, you know, 2000 tops, right? It's currently, you know, what, 1800 ish. Uh, we got a long ways to go. Right. And I think people don't realize just how high they can go. 
Um, but of course, look at other commodities and see how their performance have, has played out and understand that silver and gold are going to be and are a heck of a better hedge against inflation um, and, and have a much, much greater you know, base of, of demand, especially when it comes to monetary demand globally, than, than uh, a lot of these other commodities that we've seen really take off and, and, and move, you know, many multiples of their previous price. Um, commodities that generally wouldn't do that. I, I'm talking, of course, things like steel and lumber and natural gas and, and, and others and, and uranium. Um, well, that's coming for, for silver and gold. It's just a matter of, of when. And it's a matter of when this next crisis is. Because I don't think the Fed is going to be able to print their way out of this next crisis. I don't think central banks will be able to. I don't think the U.S. government will be able to spend their way out of it. They're going to try. They're going to try their very best. And, and believe me, 2020, if anything, only reinforced their views about their own, you know, um, omnipotence when it comes to uh, saving the day, right? Why would they believe otherwise, right? As far as central bankers and governments are concerned, they saved the day in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, in many ways, they've only dug themselves a deeper grave, uh, but they don't see it that way. And so, of course, they're going to continue with the same behavior, the same strategies, only to a greater extent, whether that's uh, buying stocks in the case of the Fed, whether that's, um, you know, helicopter money, which we've already seen quite a bit in the past year or two, that that was almost unheard of with the exception of, you know, some stimulus payments back in, you know, 2008 or nine, I forget. Um, but we're going to see that to a greater extent. And that's going to be highly, highly inflationary. And, uh, and that's, that's how silver and gold react when, when the Fed can't print their way out of this next crisis. I can't tell you when it's coming. Um, but we're getting closer. So as always, I'd like to thank you each from the bottom of my heart, uh, for, for tuning in today's podcast and uh, God bless.